Good morning, witches. This is the Witch Daily Show, coming to you from New Orleans, with host Tanya Brown. Our episodes span about 20 minutes long to give you just a little pop of magic. So, tune in, take a deep breath, and enjoy. Good morning. It is April 7th, 2023. It is Friday. I am Tanya, and this is the Witch Daily Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Grow Your Own Optimist. So let's get your day going with a little magic. Our quote of the day is Love life, engage in it, give it all you've got. Love it with a passion because life truly does give back many times over what you put into it. Maya Angelou. So what are we drinking today? We are drinking Sippa Spells Freezer Spell. Uh, This is a green tea lemon meringue. Uh, It is very delicious. It has sweetness of apples and orange and lemon, and it is just absolutely incredible, in my opinion. So we've been talking about apples this week, and I wanted to touch on 10 ways to use apples in witchcraft. And this comes to us from moodymoons.com. So one, you can use apples in tarot spells. Surround the Empress card from tarot with apple slices and leave them on the altar to help for fertility. You can pour a libation apple juice to encourage wisdom. Include apples in spells to avert temptation. Toss in a cauldron for love. Well, like bruise, you know. Cut an apple in half to find the pentacle. Make a wand from wood. Uh, from like apple tree wood. Fill a basket of apples to put on your Samhain or Maybon altar. Burn apple blossom incense to enhance your connection to other realms. Include seeds and protection spells. Plant an apple tree to bless your home for prosperity. All right, moving into some headlines. This is just a really fun one for Fun Friday. Pioneer perspectives. I don't believe in Bigfoot. But I do believe in friendship. And this comes to us from bmidpioneer.com. I feel like every group of friends needs at least one inside joke, whether it's a teasing reference to an embarrassing moment or a callback to a shared experience. Inside jokes can be a wonderful way to bond and remember just how long your friendship has lasted. For my friends and I, our inside joke is our shared and only semi-ironic love of Bigfoot. It all started with my own family well before I met the three of my best friends while in college. My dad would get home from a long day at work and turn on the television to unwind. Slowly, the rest of my family would filter in. The programs we'd watch would vary. MASH, Hogan's Heroes, House Hunters, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. You know, typical fare. One of our favorites, however, was Finding Bigfoot a show with the premise of three avid believers and one skeptic traveling across North America in search of the legendary cryptid. Now, I should clarify that none of my family particularly believes in Bigfoot. 
Despite this stance, or maybe because of it, we ended up entranced by the show and the sometimes ridiculous claims it made. A fallen tree in the forest was obviously evidence that Sasquatch had been present. A coyote or wolf howl warped by mountains and valleys were the distinct call of none other than Bigfoot himself. An individual in one town they visited claimed to be psychic and said she communicated with Sasquatch telepathically. As residents of northern Minnesota, we particularly enjoyed when a cast member claimed everything in the state from Moose Lake to Canada was an unpopulated stretch of forest with no sign of civilization in sight. When I went to college, finding Bigfoot maintained a special place in my heart, and after mentioning it to my friends once or twice, we all sat down to watch it one evening in our shared apartment. We didn't know it at the time, but it was the beginning of one of our most referenced inside jokes. My friends immediately understood the appeal, the nonsensical and at times laughable claims, the bizarre computer-generated reenactments of witness testimonies, and the overall charming absurdity of the show hooked them the same way it had my family. Watching an episode became a regular tradition for us on quiet evenings. We'd gather in the apartment's living room, decorated with tapestries and Christmas lights, to enjoy the cast's zany adventures as they traveled across the country. Now, even as it approaches two years after we graduated and went our separate ways, whenever we get together, Bigfoot almost always makes an appearance. We have matching overalls with Bigfoot-shaped patches sewn in the front, several Sasquatch ornaments and knickknacks, and this past year, I even tried my hand at crocheting tiny Bigfoots for each of us. Each time I look at one of these Sasquatch-related items, I'm reminded of my friends and just how much they mean to me. What started out as a simple inside joke about a funny TV show has become an integral part of our friendship. It's a way for us to feel close even when we're miles apart. Finding the or well, while the Finding Bigfoot cast never did succeed in their mission, I can say that for me at least, maybe the real Bigfoot was the friendships we made along the way. I just think that's really lovely. And I completely, I completely love this sentiment, right? Like, sometimes we find these little things in life that just connect us or make us feel seen or heard or understood and sometimes it's silly and you know and I, and I think we all know the feeling of when we're trying to share something that we just think is fascinating right like like the phenomena of Bigfoot's fascinating right you even if you don't believe in it or whatever whatever but like when you're trying to share someone the fascination and someone maybe like cracks a joke or make fun or like you know makes fun of you you're like hey I'm just enjoying something you're making fun of me because I'm enjoying something or I'm learning or I'm finding this subculture fascinating. And when we can find people who can join in on the absurdity with us, uh, is there no greater moment? Anyways, great article. I think it's just really, really sweet. All right, witches, I'm going to throw this over to our moon correspondent. And after this break, we will talk more. Hello to all of my astro friends. This is Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, coming at you with your daily moon mantra for Friday, April 7th. The waning gibbous moon moves from the tastefully appointed halls of Libra to the murky swamps of Scorpio by noon today. Here, the moon opposes Mercury and squares Pluto. Mercury has entered its retrograde shadow period, where it slows down before it eventually stops and starts to move backwards. 
When this happens, there are delays in communication and our thought process starts to feel just a little gooey. The square to Pluto challenges us to wrest control away from the fates and take charge of the day. However, with Mercury's shadow slowing us down, that's a rather tall order. Be patient with yourself today. These energies can be rather frustrating as they vie for control over your day. Don't let them. Your daily moon mantra is, for every minute you remain angry, you give up 60 seconds of peace. This has been your daily moon mantra with Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, signing off and reminding you that you are in charge of your own destiny. The Magic of Trees is not just a book on tree magic. It is about drawing on the strength of forests and tree energy to better connect with ourselves, other people, and the world around us. Each chapter reinforces meditations, spells, and rituals that will reconnect humanity with its roots at every stage of life. These practices take a hands-on approach to life and spiritual work. They lead to individual self-awareness and fulfillment through healthy natural practices. Plus, this text has the added benefit of fine-tuning spiritual tree connections, which never stop growing. Find the magic of trees wherever books are sold. All right. So Easter is coming up. It is this weekend, right? So we're going to talk today a little bit more about Easter. I know we kind of already covered it, which in retrospect, I don't know why I covered it so early, but... um, who can say? But we're going to touch on it a little bit more for this weekend. Uh, for This is from The Guardian. Easter is a pagan festival. If Easter isn't really about Jesus, then what is it about? Today we see a secular culture celebrating the spring equinox, whilst religious cultures celebrate the r- resurrection. However, early Christianity made a pragmatic acceptance of ancient pagan practices, most of which we enjoy today at Easter. The central symbolic story of the death of the sun, or, you know, S-U-N, on a cross, or the constellation of the Southern Cross, and his rebirth, overcoming the power of darkness, was a well-worn story in the ancient world. There were plenty of parallel rival resurrection saviors, too. The Sumerian goddess Iana, or Ishtar, was hung naked on a stake and was subsequently resurrected and ascended from the underworld. One of the oldest resurrection myths is Egyptian Horus. Born on the 25th of December, Horus and his damaged eye became symbols of life and rebirth. Mithras was born on what we would call today Christmas, and his followers celebrated the spring equinox. Even as late as the 4th century AD, the Sol Invictus associated with Mithras was the last great pagan cult the church had to overcome. Dionysus was a divine child resurrected by his grandmother. Dionysus was brought to his mom, Samil, back to life. In an ironic twist, the Sibyl cult flourished on today's Vatican Hill. Sibyl's lover, Attis, was born of a virgin, died, and was reborn annually. This spring festival began on the blood on Black Friday rising to crescendo after three days, and rejoicing over the resurrection. There was violent conflict on Vatican Hill in the early days of Christianity between the Jesus worshippers and the pagans, who quarreled over whose god was the true, 
and whose was the imitation. What is interesting to note here is that in the ancient world, wherever you had popular resurrection god myths, Christianity found lots of converts. So eventually, Christianity came to an accommodation with the pagan spring festival. Although we see no celebration of Easter in the New Testament, early church fathers celebrated it. And today, many churches are offering sunrise services at Easter, an obvious pagan solar celebration. The date of Easter is not fixed, but instead is governed by phases of the moon. How pagan is that? All the fun things about Easter are pagan. Bunnies are left over from the pagan festival of Oster, a great northern goddess whose symbol was a rabbit or hare, exchange of eggs in an ancient custom celebrated by many cultures, hot cross buns are very ancient too. In the Old Testament, we see the uh, uh, Israelites baking sweet buns for an idol and religious leaders trying to put a stop to it. The early church clergy was also tied to a stop to, uh, or tried to put a stop to sacred cakes being baked at Easter. In the end, in the face of defiant cake baking pagan women, they gave up and blessed the cake instead. Easter is essentially a pagan festival, which is celebrated with cards, gifts, and novelty Easter products because it's fun and the ancient symbolism still works. It's always struck me that the power of nature and the longer days are often most felt in modern towns and cities, where we set off to work without putting on our car headlights, and when our alarm goes off in the mornings, the streetlights outside are still not on because of the darkness. What better way to celebrate than to bite off the head of a bunny goddess? Go to a sunrise service, get yourself sticky-footed fluffy chicks, and stick it on your TV, whilst helping yourself to a hefty slice of pagan simnel cake. Happy Easter, everyone. This is probably the best breakdown I've ever seen on the, like, pagan roots of Easter. I'm actually really, really impressed. And this is from The Guardian. Oh, gosh. Okay, so I just clicked on this thing and it was talking, you know, about Easter. And it said ancient or um, ancient origins. And I was like, oh, no, is this is this ancient aliens? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, gosh. Do you remember when the History Channel would put out, like, fake, fake things? Does anyone remember that? Because the History Channel for so long was just, like, World War II and Egyptians. And my, my mom loves, like, my mom loves Egypt. So that's all the History Channel was for, like, most of my life. And then all of a sudden, I want to say in, like, mid-2010s or mid-2000s, I'm not sure, out of nowhere, they were just like, hey, Aliens are real. Or, hey, remember there was a whole documentary about how mermaids were real? But it was like a joke. But I watched it. It was weird. I don't know. It was really confusing. It was confusing for a teenager. <laughs> Anyways. So, let's see what we have about more Easter. Oh, there's also a connection to Passover. So Easter is associated with the Jewish festival of Passover through its symbolism and meaning. 
as well as its position in the calendar. Some early Christians chose to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on the same date as Passover, which reflects Easter having entered Christianity during its earliest Jewish period. Evidence of a more developed Christian festival of Easter emerged around the mid-2nd century. In 325 AD, Emperor Constantine convened a meeting of Christian leaders to resolve important disputes at the Council of Nyssa. Since the church believed that the resurrection took place on Sunday, the council determined that Easter should always fall on the first Sunday after the first full moon following the vernal equinox. Easter has since remained without a fixed date, but proxim- but like proximate to the full moon, which coincided with the start of Passover. While there are distinct differences between the celebrations, both festivals remain or like celebrate rebirth. In Christianity, through the resurrection of Jesus, and in Jewish traditions, through the uh, liberation of the Israelites from slavery. It's really fascinating. When you really get to a point where you're really digging into these religions and especially uh, the like resurrection myth, um, and you see how so many religions have such similar structures or patterns or parallel myths and I just, it's one of my favorite things to really dig into. And when you see the parallels pop up, and Easter is such a great example of this, um, Halloween is as well. So many cultures have a celebration of the dead around the same time. When you see all these things so parallel, it's really hard to understand why people get so angry over differences, right? Um, I didn't know if I wanted to bring this up, but it's getting to a point where it's so glaring in our culture. Um, I really want to keep this podcast a place where you can kind of escape and, um, you know, you're listening before work or whatever. And I don't want to be like, okay, another sad thing happened today. You know, like I just, it's hard enough for me to process a lot of things as a, just as a person, but then to have to find eloquent ways to talk about it is very difficult for someone who's just also going through the same stresses. Um, but talking about hate, uh, I'm from Florida. That's where I was born and bred, born and raised. And I was talking, I think, what, yesterday about how when I was little or little, when I was in high school, which I mean is pretty little, when I was in high school, um, I there was a great book on witchcraft in my library, and it meant so much, so much to me. And it was like our only book on witchcraft in the library. And I remember taking out the big vampire reference books and flipping through it. And I, you know, for someone like me, I had a really, really hard time growing up. A really, really hard time. A really hard time. I really struggled um, with everything. Absolutely everything. I had a very hard go, and. My school library, my school library just meant a lot. Sorry, I had to pause and cry, but I'm back. Um, my school library meant a lot to me and to a lot of other people I knew who were different or um, alternative or just not jocks or popular. Like for a lot of kids who feel different or who feel bullied or who feel small or who feel just different in any way. I know for me and a lot of people I knew, the library was our 
safe space. It was where we could go during lunch or we could go before school and find a place to be that wasn't amongst like the ravenous crowds of, you know, teenage social, you know, socialness. And I just, just knowing the attack on books and the attacks on media and the bans and how powerless the people in the situation who are, who are actually educated, who do have master's degrees, who do have, have, who have dedicated their lives to enriching and enhancing knowledge. And to see that these people are powerless to those who have no fraction of knowledge is very sad. So um, I did just want to kind of touch on all of that because, you know, it's just, it's getting, it's bad, you know, the, we have these book bans and we have endless school shootings. What we're at like one a week, I think now. Um, I don't know what the answers are. And I don't pretend to know what the answers are. But what I do know is there are people who have dedicated their lives to figuring out those answers. And I think those are the people we pay attention to, right? We don't pay attention to our TikTokers. We don't pay attention to our podcasters. Um, we don't pay attention to um, our uncles on social media. We got to pay attention to the people who have been doing this their whole lives, who have the answers and are just waiting for the ability to use the, you know, that knowledge. And so I just wanted to touch on that. It feels really, it just, it, it's to the point now where it feels weird not to touch on it. So that's all I wanted to say. Um, I apologize for getting emotional. I didn't expect that. I honestly kind of forgot how much my high school library meant for me until I started talking in this very moment and it all just kind of came flooding back. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but just know that like, I'm here with you, you know, like what, whatever you're feeling, just know you're not alone. We're all in this together and we, we all want what's best and we just need to figure out how to get there, you know? So anyways, which is, Oh, I am wrapping up this episode of the Witch Daily Show. Now I'm really curious about what our carpool is going to be. <laughs> um, let me give some shout outs to Elise. Elise, you esoteric glowing sunset. Garisu, you innocent splendid banshee. Chris, you charming bombastic spinster. And Stephanie Young, you innocent and pretty moth. Thank you for so much being Patreon supporters. I really appreciate it. And before I leave today, our card is the Six of Pentacles from Buffy the Vampire Tarot deck. Speaking of, Buffy was always also very important to me in school. Um, hypothetically, let's say someone who wasn't very nice to you had a dress on layaway for a very special dance. Let's say that despite working their formerly spoiled butt off for it, they still can't afford to take it home. And you happen to be in a position to help. Sound familiar? The Six of Pentacles is tugging at your heartstrings and your wallet. If you've been wondering 
if it's in your best interest to make a loan or share your surplus or extend yourself for someone else, the answer is yes. Giving and receiving graciously are essential parts of true friendship. All right, witches, that's all I've got for you today. Thank you for like just hearing that. Um, I feel like I've been so emotional the past few years and it, it can be, it can be embarrassing when like it just pops up out of nowhere. But, um, I just, I don't know. I just want everyone to know that like, I see you and I hear you and I'm here with you and you know, you're not experiencing these things in a vacuum, you know? All right, witches. That's all I've got for you. Uh, we will talk next week. Witches, we hope you have a wonderful day full of joy and gentleness and confidence. Links for this week's episodes, our website, Patreon, along with a free daily card pull can be found at witchpod.com. One stop for everything we talk about. Now, take one more deep breath and have a great day. I had an abortion when I was 15 years old in my home state of Arizona in 1994. It was not a decision that I made lightly, but I have never for one moment doubted that it was the right decision for me. But so much has changed in Arizona and many other states since then. If I were that same 15-year-old in Arizona today legally, I would have to get parental consent. I would be forced to undergo a medically unnecessary ultrasound, go to a state-mandated in-person counseling session designed solely to shame me into changing my mind, and then take a state-mandated 24-hour time out to make sure I really know what I wanted. And finally, I would be forced to give the state a reason why. Well, here is mine. It is my body, not the state's. Women and their doctors are the ones that are in the best position to make informed decisions about what is best for them no one else. No bill that criminalizes abortion will stop anyone from making this incredibly painful decision. These bans will not stop abortion from happening, but they will drive women and girls and people into the shadows, which is what this has always been about, shaming and controlling women's bodies. In the week after I shared my story on my show, women were coming up to me in the street, in the supermarket, at my gym, with tears in their eyes, thanking me for my bravery. But the word brave didn't sit right with me. Why is it brave to speak to an experience that millions of people around the world throughout history have gone through? And then I realized it is considered brave because as women, we have been taught to feel shame about our bodies since birth. I am so sad that we have to sit here in front of a row of politicians and give deeply personal statements because the why doesn't matter, it should not matter. I am a human being that deserves autonomy in this country that calls itself free, and choices that a human being makes about their own bodies should not be legislated by strangers who can't possibly know or understand each individual circumstances or beliefs. I'm here today 
to help destigmatize a legitimate medical procedure and continue to encourage women not to allow themselves to be shamed for their choices. And finally, I am here today for my two little girls, Birdie and Cricket. My dream for them is that they will live in a world in which women are truly equal with complete control over their own reproductive health. That is the dream I hold for all people, regardless of their privilege or parents or what state they live in. That dream is slipping further and further from reality with every ban passed. I hope that you, our elected leaders, can help us reverse the tide. Thank you. I look forward to today's discussion.